Hey everybody, it's David Pluff. Welcome to Campaign HQ. Today we're going to have our third episode as we go across the country and, and go deep into some of the key states in this critical 22 election. And today we're going to go out west to the great state of Nevada. Not Nevada. First lesson, it's Nevada. Uh, some candidates have, uh, for president have run uh, aground on that pronunciation. So for all of you out there when we're talking about this important state, Nevada. Uh, Nevada has... It's a small state, six electoral votes, always been critical in presidential races, certainly over the last four or five election cycles. But it has a plethora of critical races, uh, dead heat, important Senate race could determine control. Uh, governor Sisolak's running for reelection. He won by four points in 18 uh, critical governor's race. Three, count them, three toss-up House races. So three of the four House districts in Nevada are considered toss-ups. They could help determine House control and certainly margin. Uh, you have a Secretary of State's race where the Republican nominee is a full-out election denier. So if he were to win uh, and preside over the 2024 election, things could get pretty scary. And a bunch of other nuttiness down the ballot from the Republicans. It's a place where a bunch of uh, full-on MAGA conspiracy theorists have won. So we're going to go deep into Nevada today. We've got two great guests today. We're going to start with someone I think a lot of you probably know, John Ralston, CEO of the Nevada Independent. He's been a longtime observer uh, and journalist in Nevada, knows the state uh, backwards and forwards, someone I certainly uh, have learned a lot through the years. So he's going to talk to us about what he's seeing on the ground, uh, give us an overview of these key races, talk a little bit about how Nevada has changed over the last, let's say, 10 or uh, 12 years electorally and, and where it may be heading. So he'll give you a great overview of the state of play. And then we're going to be joined by Sam Barrett, campaign manager for Steve Sisolak, uh, who um, has a long history across the country uh, of running races, many House races. Now he's running this governor's race. Uh, the last two episodes, we talked to Senate managers, so it'll be great to talk to a governor's manager. Those races obviously have some distinction because they are executive races. This is also a re-election race. Um, so I'm really excited to go deep uh, with Sam, both uh, about Nevada generally. He's obviously a great observer of what, what he's seeing, even in some of the other races he's not responsible for, uh, but also, uh, most importantly, his race, uh, which particularly in a post-ops world, every governor's race uh, is incredibly important. So we're going to go deep into Nevada uh, in today's episode of Campaign HQ. John Ralston, welcome to Campaign HQ, and it's always good to say definitively that Nevada matters. I'm glad you got that right, and it's always a pleasure <laughs> to be with you, David. Well, you've you've drilled that into my head, but not only does Nevada matter, I mean, let's talk about this. You've got uh, just a marquee Senate race, uh, you know, governor's re-election. Three of your four House districts are considered pure toss-ups. You've got Secretary of State race with an election denier on one side. You've got other constitutional offices. So just... Talk about that a little bit, man. Even for you, this is a lot of action in one election cycle. It's not only a lot of action, which you've just uh, described accurately, as I expected, no less from you. Hmm. But uh, there's so much uncertainty uh, yeah. uh, in, in this year's election because of how the demographics of Nevada have changed, certainly since the last time we talked and even since the last uh, cycle, uh, David, with, with uh, the rise in independent registration and what that means here in Nevada. And all the years I've covered politics here, which is every cycle since 86, uh, it's never been like this, where, where there was a plurality of non-major party voters uh, in the lead uh, in the state. And what does that mean for these races that you're talking about? Because it's going to, how they vote, 
how many of them vote uh, is, right. is going to be decisive in, in those races that you talked about. Well, I'm eager to get in the races, but now that you start there, let's start there. So a couple things. So you mentioned uh, the rise of independent registration. I'd also like to get your sense. Obviously, Nevada is a state with a lot of migration in and out. So you have a, a turbulent electorate. Uh, states also changed a lot. I mean, when you and I first met back in 06 and, and 08 and, and, and that period, you know, Nevada was still competitive. But boy, a lot of people thought, oh, now it's firmly blue. It's certainly not. It's 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 purple. You've obviously got in Nevada the unique opportunity for voters to choose none of the above, which means you can win a race like 47 or 48. So just so many people who listen to this are going to be interested in all these races in Nevada. But before we get into the races, just set the scene, man, for, for all the uniqueness that's happening there. Yeah, and you know, it's interesting that you mentioned something that most people don't know about and seems weird, which is uh, statewide races, you have this choice of none of the above. And and I think that could be more significant than usual. The two top races, the marquee races for governor and U.S. Senate, you have, as you know, they have two Democratic incumbents uh, who are considered to be in margin of error races with right. Republican opponents. And they these incumbents, knowing what the atmospherics are out there, hearing all this talk, about a possible red wave have have had uh, to, to make these elections not a referendum on them, but a choice. And so they have been relentlessly hammering away at their opponents, Joe Lombardo, the Clark County Sheriff for Governor, and Adam Laxalt, the former Attorney General uh, and, and leader of the election denier movement here in Nevada. They've been hammering them because they know that they need to do that. And when that happens, it's possible that that, that, that will drive people into none of the above and not wanting to deal with this. I've seen some focus groups where people are, are, are not thrilled with either candidate and really don't know who they're going to vote for and, and don't really want to vote for either of the candidates in, 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 in some cases. And so I think that could play a factor this time. Well, Sisolak won in 18, what by four, but it was 49-45. So he didn't have to get 50 back then. And, and I think things are much more likely atmospherically to, to maybe, you know, you could get up to 6 8% uh, potentially of, of none of the above. And then obviously you've got, um, you, let's start on the election deniers. So you've got Laxalt, who lost to Sisolak in 18. Now is running against Cortez Masto as the Senate nominee. The Secretary of State on the Republican side, full-out election denier. I believe your state treasurer is as well. Like... The, the election denier conspiracy theory side of the Republican Party did really well in Nevada primaries. Yeah, and with some help uh, from, from the Democrats, although I think they would have won anyhow, and, and you've seen all the criticism of yeah. the Democrats across the country elevating these election deniers, and then they could win. The, they, the polling shows... Uh, that David, that, that 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 the election deniers are either very close or even slightly ahead in some of these races because who who follows the Secretary of State's race? Nobody knows what the job is, or and it's a critical job now more than ever in every state in the country. State treasurer is is not a very well known job. The person who's running in that race on the Republican side is 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 maybe the most extreme candidate running. Uh, although Jim Marchant, the Secretary of State candidate, is thoroughly unhinged and believes all kinds of crazy stuff, including that no one has been elected here since 2006, which is an ironic thing for him to say, David, <laughs> because he was elected 
to the assembly since 2006. But forget about logic, which is, is kind of a scary thing for two guys like you and me to say. But uh, that's the scary thing about what's going on out there is, is what some people have called the post-factual, post-truth world, which I rail about all the time. And I've actually started a news organization to try to fight uh, that, but that, that that is the most frightening thing out there because it makes it harder to spot trends, predict trends, right. understand what's really happening in the electorate. So Marshawn could win that race. And if so, you have him presiding over. I mean, listen, when you sit down there with the electoral college calculator, it's not impossible to come up with scenarios where Nevada tips the presidential election if it's super close. So people should hopefully not prepare themselves for that, but certainly prepare themselves for the possibility that that's what we could be facing. Yeah, it really is. And he's running against a very solid uh, guy by the name of Cisco Aguilar, who's a mm -hmm. well-known lawyer, well-liked lawyer in town. Just a, you know, he just he just wants to do a good job, and 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 he's raised a ton of money, but he has not spent a lot of it yet. And and you know, early voting is is only about a month away here, and mail mail ballots are going to go out even sooner uh, than that. So uh, I he, I am sure he's going to start doing some media soon, but he's got to go after Marchant as well and point out how extreme uh, he is. Um, I don't think I, I could have done this as long as I have David and B. And the, let's not worry too much. The good guys always yeah, win right, kind of category. Right, I right. just don't believe that, right? No. And so uh, <laughs> I, I, I think there's a chance he could win. You have, uh, you know, a very extreme candidate running for attorney general in this state as well. Not a pure election denier, but... Uh, uh, you know, someone who nods towards the, you know, what the shibboleth is now, election integrity, uh, which the, which they say. But, you know, you, you've done this for a long time, too. The fact that there are so many people out there who you can't even talk to them, think the election was stolen, think that elections are corrupt now. Uh, what if one of these people uh, becomes secretary of state and who's an election denier in swing states? It could happen in all of them, as you know, including... Yeah. Nevada, that could change everything. No, it could change the country for good. No, I mean, it does seem your point that Marshawn said nobody has won an election since 06. That gets it out of just the did Trump win or not. Like, I, I think that's probably an argument that if Aguiar does a good job, everyone's going to hear, because I think that that may reach, uh, you know, even some people who are conflicted on this. So let's talk about the House races. You know, the, the Senate races around the country get an enormous amount of attention. Governor's races, particularly in post-ops. You've got three of your four considered toss-ups. By the way, do you agree with that? Do you think they're all toss-ups right now? You know, I don't. Um, okay. But, but I, I, I think... Listen, there's been a lot of controversy about how they became so-called toss-ups. The Democrats controlled reapportionment and and changed. They took a lot of Democrats from a very safe Democratic seat that held by Dina Titus and tried to bolster two lesser sure thing seats for them. Uh, I think it was the right thing to do, but there's been a lot of controversy. Dina Titus hated it. But those are still... Uh, Democratic districts and solidly Democratic districts. Uh, you know, I think the worst is a Biden plus seven uh, uh, district and the registration is even bigger uh, uh, th than that. So I still think you have to say all of those districts lean slightly towards the Democrats. But the polling, again, that I've seen, David, shows those races uh, to be very, very close. Uh, but it would have to be, I think, a pretty deep red wave for, for, for the Democrats to lose all three of those. So in a scenario, not that this is going to happen, but if, if Cortez, Masto, and Sisolak either win by a couple of points or lose by a point, you think those House districts should be okay? 
And what you've got? What you've got? Uh, Horsfords uh, there. You've got um, t- Tina Titus, Titus and and Susie Lee is in the Susie Lee, the right? Swing, right. She's in the swing right. district. She's in the swing district, there. right? And she she was the one they really needed to bolster. I think she is the most vulnerable. She oh, has some three. issues she needs yeah. to deal yeah. with, uh, and and so and and she's got a decent candidate. Uh, although she is an election denier too, Al- April Becker, but she has uh, d- run a pretty decent media campaign. But she's hiding. She doesn't th- doesn't want to do media interviews. Doesn't want to do a debate, which is a template that's been followed, as you know, by by, by a lot of these kinds of candidates. Uh, and, and Dina Titus's uh, opponent is the least well known of any of them, Mark Robertson. But he's got a military background. I think people were surprised he came out of that. Uh, prime, primary, but you know, Dina Titus, as you know uh, very well, Dave, is 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 someone who just is relentless and yes, will do whatever tenacious. it takes. Yes, and so yeah. I think that she has to be a favorite uh, to hang in there. And listen, Horsford has some issues to deal with too, but that really is a Democratic district. Yeah. The difference with Horsford's district and the other two is Horsford's district has a rural component to it, and if t- the turnout—it's only about fifteen percent of the district—but if the turnout gets too large there, that's how the Republicans won that district uh, in in the last red wave in this state in 2014. So he's got to be wary of that, in addition to some issues he has uh, to deal with in his campaign. But it would be more of a wave-like scenario. Yeah, I think that's important. I mean, I think that as we think about House ratings, I think so much of our thought was, you know, you're thinking five, six months ago when things have changed. I don't want to overstate that. I think things probably are rosier for Democrats in polling than will happen on Election Day. But nonetheless, it doesn't look uh, as catastrophic. So let's talk about the Senate race. you got Cortez Masto running for re-election against uh, Laxalt, you know, legendary Nevada political family, uh, lost to Sisolak by four. What are the what as you look at that race, like what really jumps out to you as the most interesting uh, questions or dynamics? So I, I mentioned that I've seen some focus groups, and what in, what interested me about these. Can focus I just stop you there? I, I saw you. You did so. You participated in some focus groups with Sarah Longwell, right? Of uh, was it just you know, sort of traditional Democratic voters considering voting Republican, or who were the unit? Because I, I found it fascinating your report on that. Yeah, that that and, and you didn't even get to see the focus groups. I right. may write something about this at some point, David. But yeah, these are these are Democrats, registered Democrats, who generally in the past, not all of them, voted for 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 for, for Democrats, voted for Biden, voted for Hillary, um, vo- voted for Cortez Masto uh, in 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 twenty sixteen. But they are open to voting for Republicans. What was interesting about them is that some of them really really were negative on Sisolak. Uh, not a majority, and, and were considering voting for Lombardo, but didn't know enough about him. But in the Senate race, unanimity in, in, in distrust and dislike of Laxo, hmm. uh, which, which I found that now, again, you, you know this better than I do. Focus groups are not polls, uh, but they, they can pick up trends. Yeah. And, and, and so, l- listen. My feeling about Laxalt is I followed him since he moved to this state to run for office. Uh, you know, you said he's a member of a legendary uh, Nevada family, which, of course, you know, David Pluff and John Rawson and about 200 other people in the country might know <laughs> no, that. Hey, right. <laughs> right? Yeah. Even even Laxalt, yeah. uh, even the name Laxalt in Nevada doesn't mean that much. And his legendary family, half of them did ads against him in the governor's oh, race uh, because they don't like him. So... I don't know how much that works for him, although he never would have 
been where he is if his name, as one Republican consultant once said to me, was John Smith, right? I mean, the Laxalt name helped him raise money early on in his career, and he still has connections. And he's one of those rare Republicans, right, who's supported by both Trump and McConnell. But McConnell is much, uh, you know, that is because he needs this this Senate race. So Laxalt's not a good candidate, David. He is not. Yeah. In my opinion, he belongs right in the spectrum with Herschel Walker and Oz and, and Masters in Arizona. He's got a lot of baggage. Uh, I wish the election denier stuff mattered to people as much as it should. Unfortunately, it doesn't. Um, the question is, how does an issue like abortion, which um, in the post-Dobbs world, uh, Catherine Cortez Master was really trying to use against him, and he's suddenly dancing all over the place. He's not for a federal ban, he says. He won't even take a position on, on Graham's bill. He's completely uh, dodged that, which tells you that they know it's a problem for him. He's the only person, by the way, who said when he was running in, in 2018 for governor that he would support a referendum to overturn Nevada's pro-choice 24-week law. It can only be done by a referendum, right, right. Uh, David. So, so he has said a lot of things before he suddenly decided maybe he should try to uh, uh, muddy the waters on this issue. I think that's a real... One, one other thing, uh, Cortez Masto's campaign has been so far virtually flawless. Uh, she, her media has been really excellent. I've really been impressed by it. She's a very disciplined candidate by nature. Uh, she's, you know, the classic workhorse, not show horse. Although some Democrats, and you'll get this uh, as an operative, have wished she had been more of a show horse at times so she would have a better profile. And right, so she's not right. as well known, maybe, or understood as well as she should be, considering she's been in public office here for quite some time. Fascinating. Uh, the other thing about the abortion issue, I think, whether you're Laxalt or Blake Masters near you in Arizona, you know, the, the, obviously with Laxalt, I mean, the fact that he says he would support a referendum to overturn what the voters said there is like uh, lock, stock and barrel. He, he, he's caught. But, you know, the, all the Supreme Court justices said, oh, don't worry, it's settled law. Like, I don't think it's that hard to tell voters that, that don't believe anything these guys say. And it's mostly guys. So, Governor's race, you mentioned in the focus groups, uh, some of the folks who, who were negative on Laxalt were also expressing some concerns about Sisolak. Obviously, governor's races are different than Senate races, particularly if it's an incumbent, you're an executive, you have more stewardship over the economy, good or bad, you had COVID decisions. So what's going on in the governor's race? So, uh, while I think that Cortez Masto has done what Senate candidates need to do, which is distance herself to some extent or create her own image slowly but surely away from Biden and his numbers, which are terrible in this state. Lombardo's campaign has tried to tie, do something more difficult, David, which is tie the governor to the president. And so mm. they have done these pairs of signs around around the, the, uh, both areas of the state, all areas of the state, essentially. So one thing, Biden, Sisolak, and, 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 the, and the other sign essentially says, don't let them, don't let the Biden, Sisolak uh, team win. Um, listen, um, this is the strongest executive branch state in the country. The governor has a, immense power. Uh, the legislature is barely in session uh, every two years, uh, only 120 days. So he can do a lot of things, and he has. 
uh, and, and he's a COVID-era governor, and so there's still a hangover from that, although uh, people seem to give him credit for his handling of it early on. It's later that caused him the problem, including, David, the utter collapse of the unemployment system here, which, which people remember. And by the way, that surprised me in these focus groups. People really remembered either they or their friends couldn't get their checks, and they blamed the governor for that. Uh, rightly or wrongly, that system was, I won't, I won't waste your time, but that system was broken before Sisolak got there, but then you have this massive in, in, influx of unemployment claims and a broken system, uh, and, and people remember that. Uh, that they lost their jobs. They said, okay, the governor was right to shut down the state, but now I can't even get my subsistence. I, so I think that's a real issue for him to deal with. I think Lombardo's campaign knows that. They've also, from the word go, launched on him as being corrupt and used various decisions he's made uh, to portray him uh, that, that way. Um, Lombardo is essentially a tabula rasa, though, when it comes to real issues. Nobody knows where he stands. I think he put out an education plan, which was a fairly boilerplate uh, and didn't distinguish uh, himself that much. And by the way, most people in my business didn't even pay attention to it, right? right? And so that that's an issue for him too. So um, he's not as well known. And so I think if people decide that, that if, if Sislak can define him as being a failed sheriff before people get to know him that well, Sislak uh, uh, could hold on. But Lombardo's campaign has really run some tough negative ads on Sisolak, uh, uh, essentially calling him corrupt. And the RGA is piled on too, the Republican Governors uh, Association with some good media. It's fascinating though, of course, to have given that, you know, probably the most fundamental um, element of the Republican playbook in modern times is to try and, and scare voters on crime. That was Trump's closing argument, didn't work. Here you have Lombardo, Republican, sheriff, where Sisolak and, and, and Democrats are able to make uh, arguments against him, right, that crime's on the rise. It's just a fascinating jujitsu uh, dynamic. The best moment of the entire campaign so far, and you'll appreciate this, just because y you know that uh, these candidates like Lombardo, who actually is a moderate, or so it seems, right, we don't know that much, had to go and get Trump's endorsement in the, in the primary because he was worried because the really Trumpian candidate was making a move. And so Chris Carr, who was Trump's political director, works for this campaign and I think helped get Trump to endorse. And so they had Trump come in really early for Lombardo so they wouldn't have to do it. And what is the first thing or the headline thing that Trump says? I am in a cesspool of crime here in Nevada, <laughs> standing next to the sheriff. And so, you know, they have tried to blame Sisolak yeah. and the legislature for criminal justice reform for causing the rise in crime. But who do most people blame for the rise in yeah. crime? The head of law enforcement, yeah, right? That is and so <laughs> you can play games with those statistics too. But just to have Trump give Sisolak essentially a, a great line to use, it's a cesspool of crime. Who's to blame for that? Uh, they, I assure you the Lombardo campaign was mortified by that yeah well <laughs> trump probably doesn't listen to his staff but bad, bad staff works exactly. nonetheless what i'm curious so there's some distinction between the senate and governor's race i'm sure you know their vote share will differ in some places but do you think those races finish within a couple of points each other or do you think there could be a bigger divergence than that 
Uh, you know this as well as I do, and I've learned this the hard way over the years, making pronouncements about what's going to happen on September yeah, 19th, right. especially with so much, as I pointed out earlier, uh, so much uncertainty. Um, I just don't know. I, I, I do think that, that, that we have not reached critical mass yet in either of these races. Things could still happen. Laxalt's not going to debate Cortez Masto, that, that's for sure. There is going to be uh, a, a very lengthy uh, 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 debate uh, uh, that I'm lucky enough to moderate that's going to be on statewide TV and in the governor's race in a couple of weeks. And I'm really oh, awesome. looking forward to that. Yeah. I, 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 so that, that'll be fun. But whether, you know, sometimes debates don't matter. Sometimes they do. With, with someone who's not well known like Lombardo, it, 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 it could uh, matter. But do I think that these races will end up being close Yes, two points. I, I just I, I don't I don't know if I want to say. It. Remember, you right. know, uh, Cortez Masto won by two and a half points. I think uh, in 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 twenty sixteen, Sisolak won by a bigger margin against Laxalt uh, four years ago. But uh, it, it's a little bit different. Laxalt had a lot of vulnerabilities. Uh, it's diff It's more difficult to run against a guy who's not well known. Yeah, no, for sure. And I agree with you on predictions. I just wondered if if you think the final results will be close in those two races. I'm not saying the margin in the race itself, but like, you know, will Axalt and Cortez Masto finish? Like, is it possible that one gets 53 and one gets 48? That doesn't sound likely. Right? I, I don't think that'll happen, but David. But we don't know. But again, uh, we don't talk know. to me and talk to yeah. me a little closer to the election. Yeah. So one of the things, Johns, I've always appreciated about you, and, and Nevada being, uh, you know, an, an early state that adopted, uh, you know, early vote, vote by mail, uh, is you've been a great interpreter of that data, I think smarter than most observers. So you mentioned rise in independent um, uh, registration. You obviously have suburban voters, more blue. You've got rural voters getting more red. You've got some Hispanic men leaning Republican. I'm just curious. So that's important. You can't look at early vote and just be like DRI. Like, and, and obviously the campaigns have sophisticated models that underlie all that. But I'm just curious, like, how are you going to be interpreting what you're seeing for all of us? Well, first of all, I, I appreciate the compliment from the yeah. data guy of data guys that I that I can Indeed. interpret this no, data. You've been I've infallible. I, I, I love getting <laughs> your posts as votes start coming in. Um. So listen, I think some of these trends are, 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 are ominous for the Democrats. And I've mentioned this uh, before. You know about the Hispanic vote. Yeah. Uh, it would be amazing if the first Latina ever elected to the U.S. Senate cannot hold the Hispanic vote by a sizable margin. Um, she was at she was at forty four percent though in 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 the Emerson poll. Now again, some of these pollsters are good, some of them are are are, are bad, and some of them are occasionally bad and good. So it's difficult to judge from one poll. It was a nineteen point lead over Laxalt. Uh, Hispanic voters here generally decide late, and so I think I think it's too early to determine uh, on that. But she she obviously needs uh, to have a very strong showing, as does Sisolak with. Uh, Hispa right. Hispanic voters. Uh, the independent register, first of all, I tracked, let me take one other trend I've tracked, David, which is uh, Republicans switching to Democrat and Democrats switching to Republicans. And for uh, most most of this year, the trend has been uh, Democrats switching to Republicans. Not in huge numbers, mind you, but 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 in numbers where, where the trend was clear and the Democrats here poo-pooed it and said they just want to vote in, in, in the primary, but it continued past the primary. So I don't think uh, that was right. 
The registration efforts that, that have been led in the past by the so-called Reed machine, which is legendary in the state and became known around the country, um, uh, have not been there this time. Now, they've had problems with the state Democratic Party uh, because it was taken over by socialists, and, and so they had to set up a parallel organization. Uh, and it's not as easy, uh, excuse the terminology I've used consistently for the Reed machine, to create a, a legalized money laundering operation <laughs> where, where, you, where you get all these people to register voters and then turn them out. I, I would argue that there's no state party that has done that better for Democrats in the country than, than, than the Reed-led Democratic yep. Party. He, he obviously hasn't been in office since 2016 and passed away last year, but the same operatives are basically in place and they know what they're doing, but they've been stymied to some extent. Over the last month or so, the trend has started to turn around. Is it in time uh, to, 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 to win. Let me, let me do one data thing for you before you, before you ask me another question, and you'll appreciate this, and you know these numbers. To win a statewide race in Nevada, generally Democrats need to win Clark County, which has anywhere from two-thirds to 70% of, of the vote and is heavily Democratic by 10 points or more to feel safe with the hemorrhaging from rural Nevada and Washoe County, where Reno is, is, is a safe county. Biden... Uh, one Clark County by just under 10, 10 percentage points and still held on uh, because there were enough votes there and, and Washoe County had become more Democratic slightly uh, in the last few cycles. But re voter registration in Clark County for the Democrats is now closed for the first time since I remember, David, it is now below 10 percent. The voter So those, those independents uh, and non-major party voters that are, uh, you know, they're, they're, they're a significant portion of the vote now, about a quarter of the vote. Uh, how they vote, will they vote, that's going to determine whether the Democratic candidates can get the 10 percent margins in Clark County. Well, listen, politics is about a lot of things, John, as you know better than anybody. It's about math. And so that Clark County math is so essential. So thank you for sharing that. Well, listen, last question for you. And it's not about 22, but thank you for your thoughts on 22. It's about 24. So we know Nevada is going to be a general election battleground state again. Uh, it has played an important role in both parties the last few election cycles uh, in terms of its uh, primary positioning. Uh, you know, last time it was actually a really important and I think underappreciated part of Biden's recovery. He actually does awful in Iowa and New Hampshire, is able to come in second in Nevada, and that helps him stay alive for South Carolina. The Democratic Party is going through a lot of discussions about how they're going to change their nomination process. What are you hearing? And, 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 and again, maybe you don't want to predict, but, but talk a little bit about the role you think Nevada may play in 24 in the nomination process. So, um, what I'm hearing is this, is that the Nevada folks were very optimistic that they that their lobbying effort and the presentation they made to the uh, to the Democratic National Committee was pretty effective. Uh, and, and they thought that, that we actually had a chance of being the first state uh, in, in, in the nominating process. Then the whole thing slowed down. Um, uh, and, and, and they decided not to make the decision until after the election. Now, the, there are a lot of theories about why that was because of, the, because of New Hampshire's close Senate race, perhaps, who, um, and, which I think, by the way, is nonsensical. I don't think that's going to uh, affect her race. But, you know, if it's going to be a close race, maybe they should worry about everything. Um, Harry Reid's not around anymore. Uh, Harry Reid and his, the force of, of, of what he could do as the Democratic leader in the Senate uh, is how we got early state status in 2008, David. He's not right. around anymore. He can't 
quote-unquote scare people anymore, right? The fear factor isn't there. So can just the pitch that Nevada for the Democratic Party is the best demographically and is a general election battleground, et cetera, is, is that enough to get to get us number one? Listen, very selfishly, I hope so. I think it would be great for the state. I think it would be great uh, for the organization that, that, that I'm the head of. But I, I just, there's so many, you know this better than anybody, there's so many weird things that can affect how a Democratic National Committee rules and bylaws committee uh, decides things. So I, w yes. I, wouldn't, I wouldn't even <laughs> predict that the day before. Yeah, no, it's like the International Olympic Committee. You, you're not sure. Right. That being said, listen, I'll get in trouble for saying this. I mean, you know, you've got a lot of states that are competing. I think that, uh, you know, but 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 if you look at like general election battleground, big Hispanic vote, big black vote, big suburban vote, big Asian vote, big Asian vote and growing. I was, you know, uh, I'm going to talk to Sam Barrett because apparently they're advertising on WeChat you know, the Chinese messaging service, because there's enough of a population in, in Nevada. Good reminder. So I, I think Nevada's got a strong case to make, uh, for sure. Um, I also, from a time zone standpoint, we're so Eastern oriented in our politics. There's something about about thinking about that. Well, well, listen, Nevada's going to play a critical role in both primary, no matter exactly where they land and in the general election. And we're lucky that John Ralston's going to help uh, help us interpret what's happening there and help us all. One thing I appreciate, Johnny, is you're always very focused on what matters and what doesn't. Now, Nevada matters, but within these races, uh, you know, showing us the trends and the data and you just have a good sense of, of what really we should pay attention to and, and what we shouldn't. So always appreciate that. And thank you for your time today. David, thanks for having me. Sam Barrett campaign manager for governor steve sislak it's great to have you with us thank you no thank you for having me on well i'm eager to talk about your race which we're going to spend most of our time on but i'm just curious i mean you've got uh you've got your race marquee governor's race you've got a huge senate race you've got three toss-up house races you got a secretary of state's race with an election denier on the other side <laughs> just what's it like being on the ground there it's crazy it's nuts and you know quite honestly i don't think nevada would have it any other way this is an interesting <laughs> right. place. They, they like it a little weird, like a little busy, like it a little fun. And that's kind of what's going on here. Yeah. So it must be just, what, hundreds of organizers on the ground, both sides, outside groups, just chaos. Just unbelievable field presence. You have culinary doing their thing at their largest ever, uh, from what I've heard, their largest ever um, canvas program. You have obviously the the new coordinated campaign and uh, this with some drama around the state party. So there's a new entity here uh, on the hard side that's helping us and helping the senator and the congressionals and Democrats up and down the ballot. And then you have just the massive donor table. So it is nuts. Um, somebody warned me coming into town, uh, I moved here about a year and a half ago, that once everything heats up, you're not going to be able to go to any of the local bars you want because there's just going to be field organizers everywhere watching every move. So I've <laughs> tried to more it. true than not. Yeah. Well, good to yeah, stay out of bars during a race if you can. And sure, also I sure, love, sure. Uh, I, you know, for you, for you listeners, you're getting some good campaign manager speak, hard side, donor table, all the stuff that's part of the vernacular. So I'm curious. Um, so you moved the state a year and a half ago, but you're a student of mm -hmm. American politics. Uh, when I used to spend a lot of time in Nevada, uh, actually, you know, I first started working in Nevada, you know, consulting on races, slightly red. Then we had a period where it was kind of deeper blue. Now we're back to purple. Kind of what's changed in the state through those, 
I mean, I think Nevada's just always a state that's had, um, you know, a lot of uh, a lot of working class voters. Uh, you've got obviously huge uh, Hispanic vote, growing suburbs, but kind of for Democrats who thought after 08 and 12, well, maybe Nevada's like, cool, it's in the blue column, we don't have to worry about it, which I think was never, you know, a safe assumption, kind of what's happened. Well, two things. One, I, I do kind of reject the premise just a little bit because up until uh, Steve's first election, 2018, the state hadn't elected a Democratic governor in like 25 years. Way. So yeah, right. while at the federal level for federal races, absolutely, they've been voting blue given the Reed machine and everything that the late senator was able to do. At the state level, there's always been this pull more to the red. But I think he nailed it. Like this is a the very makeup of the state, it's transient, you know, the uh, voters turn over at a very high rate. Um, we're seeing a huge influx from California. We're seeing after um, COVID people moved out because of the uh, loss of some of the revenue from gaming. So people could move in and out. And so it's able to shed its identity quite quickly. Um, but you're also right that there, there is, a, this is a very diverse state. It's a uh, minority majority state. And uh, what we've seen around the country is absolutely applicable here, that Hispanic voters are, working class Hispanic voters are definitely kind of being pulled more towards their their peers, uh, working class white voters, working class African-American voters. So we're starting to see that. Um, and that's why this campaign, specifically our campaign, is focused on, you know, we. I hate to speak in trite language, but, you know, <laughs> bread and butter, cable, uh, table, kitchen table issues, you know? Well, when you're the governor, you kind of have to speak to that. So, so we, if we could, <laughs> I mean, to me, this is, um, there's so many, you know, currents running through our politics, obviously, but, but yeah. you know, politics is issues and it's candidates and it's uh, messages, but it, it, it's core, it's math. And so I think the most interesting math question that's going to affect not just this election, but maybe more importantly, the next decade or so is, what is the Republican ceiling with non-college minority men? Uh, Hispanics probably most uh, acutely, but perhaps black voters. A lot of coverage of that in 20. Trump obviously did very well along the border in Texas and Miami-Dade. We saw that less, um, uh, although, you know, gains pretty much everywhere, but not as huge in other parts of the country like Nevada. Now you and so so you're seeing that on the ground, uh, you know, yeah. on, and, and so it's almost like in this election, obviously, I thought we were probably at about our ceiling as a party with suburban college educated voters. We're probably going to do better than we did, you know, because of Dobbs and some other issues. But uh, just it's, it's interesting. So how are the Republicans? What have you seen that you think smart about what they're doing to try and reach these non-college minority men in particular? Look, I. I've been around long enough that I've seen, I came out of house world. I've seen a story once a cycle, maybe two stories once a cycle about <laughs> right. CLF or some other Republican yeah. group being on the ground and canvassing in uh, heavily uh, Latino districts. Frankly, I always thought, I don't know if I'm allowed to say bullshit, but I always thought that was you bullshit. Are. Yes. Thank you. Um, <laughs> This cycle, they actually are doing it. Like, they are actually on the ground. They're actually, um, they're making inroads by organizing. Now, I will say you, and maybe this is jumping ahead and maybe, you know, this isn't the time or place for it, but you go into these focus groups though, and especially with Latino uh, female voters, this Dobbs decision is a wake up call. Right. And whatever shift they were feeling, pull they were feeling to the other side, they're being pulled very quickly back. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
So Patek's from a mathematical standpoint, we end up exceeding what you might have thought our vote share with Latino women was that counteracts some of the Republican gains with men. Absolutely. And the other, I mean, the other interesting thing, uh, Nevada, and, and I assume you're going to be talking about this throughout the episode, is uh, the just geographic kind of makeup of the state, how there's really only two media markets and how the vote share really needs to come out of Clark County, out of Las Vegas, uh, which is actually larger than the state of New Jersey. Didn't know that until I came here. Um, but you know, there that makes this a much more interesting race when we have a Republican from the southern part of the district. However, not super well defined yet. Um, so let's talk about, first of all, so Governor Sislak won in 2018 by about four points, 49-45. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's actually let's educate people a little bit more about Nevada. You talked about how massive Clark County is. You also have the option for voters to vote none of the above, right, which some percentage of voters tend to. Uh, exercise. So that's why you can win a race 49-45. I mean, do you expect mm-hmm. in, in your race, will you have, you know, three, four, five, six percent, none of the above, or do you think it'll be less than it was uh, previously? I think there's so much dissatisfaction with American politics right now that I think right. it's going to exceed that. I Fundamentally, I think the worst question pollsters ask is right track, wrong track. Yeah. Because no matter who you are, you're feeling like we're on the wrong track. Right. And right. that, dissatisfa- that dissatisfaction really presents itself in Nevada politics, which is just fascinating. Yeah. So just, you know, if you wouldn't mind, Sam, uh, just bring people into the head of a campaign manager, because having to get and again, you don't know exactly what the number is you'll need, but you probably don't need to get 50 percent to win. So how does that change your, you know, everything you do, budgeting and, and planning and just, you know, the electoral strategy? Well, I you know, I still base everything off of win number. Right. You know, I still right. have the the eggheads calculate what my win number here is. And um, I never majored in math. That's why I'm allowed to uh, bully the nerds here, David. I'm sorry about that. <laughs> um, but, you know, I still have my win number that I'm shooting for. And figuring out geographically where that comes from is, is kind of the name of the game. But what, what this, you know, none of the above strategy really allows for is talking to the entire electorate. Mm-hmm. You know, often we think of, we, we do this diametric, it's either a base election or we need to, to squeeze every, and everything, every vote we can out of that middle. There is also the ability to go talk to voters on the other side and say, hey, look, this might not be your guy either, you know? And that right. allows for a very interesting conversation with voters that we don't typically engage with. Right, no, it's a fascinating tool and such an important dynamic. So everyone who's paying attention to this election in 22, where you've got these massive House, Senate, gubernatorial races, uh, really get smart about that none of the above option. So uh, you mentioned you come from House World, so you've seen all the the tricks of the trade your Republicans trot out every cycle. It seems like whether they work or not, one of them is obviously scaring people on crime. We saw that was a big part of Trump's closing argument. You're actually running against uh, a law enforcement uh, official. Yeah. So talk a little bit about that. I mean, are, are you seeing the same crime messages uh, that generally folks around the country are seeing who are Democrats or has Lombardo uh, got a different approach? Well, unfortunately, uh, crime is spiking here in Las Vegas. Uh-huh. Um, and so the ads that I've had run against me cycle after cycle after cycle are ads now we get to go do. Uh-huh. Um, this Against this him, is yes, as the, as the Clark County Sheriff. 
It is, as the Clark County Sheriff, crime is on the rise under his watch. I mean, I worked for a prosecutor in Southern Illinois, and the ads that we had against us were quite tough. Um, And now we get to go do those same things. So taking from uh, their playbook has been quite fun. But, you know, we also, the way folks perceive crime here is also, I mean, it's the economic driver of the Strip. So when there is crime on the Strip, that means it threatens the economic stability Mm -hmm. of the state. And so we're able to make that argument. There's also been a rise in burglaries on small businesses. And so tying the, the rise in crime to just economic development and small businesses has been something that we've really excelled at. And it's really starting to drag down the sheriff. Well, and not just in Clark County, I'd imagine in places like Washoe County and and Elko, Pahrump, all these places where, you know, uh, people see the news about Clark County crime. And here's the guy who's, you know, ostensibly in charge who wants to be governor. It's a fascinating jujitsu move. It it really is. And what's also been fascinating to watch for Lombardo is he actually was a fairly progressive sheriff. I mean, this is uh, follow in the wake of George Floyd. He gave a very eloquent uh, description need for, uh, frankly, to fund the police. I mean, he, he lays out, like, if some of my funding can go to mental health services, that is something I'm going to be for. Um, and it, right there, I was, <laughs> it's beautiful. Um, but now he has... He has moved as quick away from that as he possibly can, knowing how dangerous that is with not only his base, but just voters writ large. And him trying to work this high wire of being a progressive sheriff in one aspect and then coming back as a MAGA Trump, it's ringing disingenuous with a ton of voters. And um, I'm not sorry to see it, quite frankly. Well, it's so important that, you know, these Republican candidates, I mean, some of them are just tried and true MAGA election deniers, uh, QAnon types. But those that aren't fully that, but basically make this, you know, bargain with the devil to win nominations, you know, we have to make them pay a price in general elections if we have any hope of seeing uh, the sort of more, uh, at least rule of law side of the Republican Party uh, emerge. So talk a little bit about, you mentioned, um, and I agree with you on right track, wrong track in terms of we overstate its importance. So you're, uh, you know, you're leading the campaign uh, for a governor, a re-election. Obviously, Mm -hmm. um, it's an executive race. Uh, You know, uh, people obviously look at the economy, usually through a local lens. They pay attention to what's happening nationally, but what's happening in my backyard, in my house, in my community. Just talk about, because you've, you know, worked in a bunch of federal races, the difference of running a state race, uh, particularly in this case for an executive who's basically asking to get rehired. In, in terms of political jobs, there is no better political job than, a, than managing a governor's race, mm-hmm. particularly in a, a state as small as Nevada. I mean, you walk down the street, people know who Steve Sislak is. Mm-hmm. Right or wrong, they know who he is. Uh, whether that's from COVID, whether that's from uh, just being around, uh, you know, they know Steve and they actually probably have a cell phone. They see him either up in Reno or Carson or down in Vegas all of the time. Um, and you don't get that with a senator's race or a house race because half the time they're in D.C. or they're up every six years. And so you barely see them until, you know, a year or two out. Um, they don't feel the same way about the governor. I mean, he goes to their restaurants, he goes to their dry cleaners, you know, they, they, it's more tangible to them. Part of that also means that, you know, there's a lot of folks here that 
this is the most powerful position in the state. They want to they want to talk to him. They want to see him, and they want to you know help have him help them specifically. And you're absolutely right about the economic lens is viewed through the state, and I think that is the problem that Republicans are trying to make around the country. They're trying to make it a national referendum. Well, there's a lot of really great things going on on the local level, specifically here in. I'm in Las Vegas. The Strip has never seen a more profitable year and a half following COVID. You know, the the average um, person is actually making more than they were mm. outpacing even inflation here. Now, obviously, groceries are high and gas is high. But, you know, they don't actually blame the executive of the state because they know that he can't do anything about that. Right. They just want them to know that, like, he's trying to diversify the economy. So what's um, obviously you've got a lot of different voters in this incredibly diverse mm-hmm. state. So different messages, different issues uh, work with different voters. But if you have, you know, what's your elevator pitch? What do you think is the core argument that's going to get you guys across the finish line? You know, the, the 15, 20 second pitch for Sisolak versus Lombardo. So you want comparative. Well, whatever you think is going to work. I assume it's comparative. I mean, most incumbents yeah. obviously want to turn it into a, a choice no matter who they are. But, yeah, I'm curious, like, you know, what what is the most effective argument you guys are finding with the broadest swath of voters? You, you're absolutely right. I mean, you want to make this a choice, not a referendum. Right. But, you know, I think the most effective pitch we have is there's someone that came into office four years ago that wanted to give teachers a raise, that wanted to uh, diversify our economy, that wanted to uh, solve some of these big water issues we're having in the state. And some of that stuff he did. Steve was able to give teachers a raise for the first time in four years. And some of the stuff had to be put on the back burner because of COVID. And because of his job prioritizing lives and livelihoods, we are seeing a huge, resilient bounce back in the state of Nevada. We recovered quicker than we did in 2008 by a factor of four. It took eight years to recover from the crisis of 2008. We're back to where we were pre-pandemic in terms of unemployment and job numbers within 18 months. So that's the kind of guy, that's the argument we make for Steve. For Lombardo, you know, he doesn't know where he stands on any issue whatsoever. I mean, he will say or do anything to get elected. And whether you like Steve or not, whether you think he mm-hmm. uh, shut down too long or didn't shut down enough, the one thing you can't say about him is he's, he's not going to bullshit you on where he stands. He's going to stand right there in that pocket and take the tackle. It's not the same about our opponent. All right. Well, this is such an important point for, I think, for presidential races, governor's races, mayor's races. These executive offices that are so personal, people, character uh, uh, and, and personality <laughs> matters uh, oftentimes as much or not more than issues um, because you're living with this person. I'm curious. So so abortion is a place where Lombardo has tried to be all over the place. So yeah. let's just remind people. So Nevada voters passed a law, uh, you know, quite a while ago that legalizes abortion up to 24 weeks, right? I know Governor mm-hmm. Sisolak signed some additional protections when he first came in. So mm-hmm. how important is the abortion issue? Obviously, you're you know, clear on one side that you're going to protect, uh, uh, you know, following the Nevada law. Lombardo's trying to have it both ways. But how, how much, as you mentioned, with Latino women, it's driving voter behavior. How big of an issue is this? I think for a lot of voters, it is a huge wake-up call. Mm-hmm. Republicans have been saying that they are, Supreme Court justices, I guess, have been saying that this is settled law and they're not going to touch it for the past decade and a half. But clearly folks uh, went to sleep thinking they could trust Republicans to protect women and they woke up on a day and said, well, that's absolutely not right. Um, And I think a lot of the backlash that 
um, Lombardo is getting, even when he tries to have it both ways, is exactly that. That, you know, settled law is something that Amy Comey Barrett and a lot of others said. Um, and look how it turned out. But exactly. it is a huge, huge, huge issue for women in this state. I mean, this is this state has a deep libertarian, you know, don't tread on me, keep your government out of my whatever um, in its veins. I mean, this still is the Wild West. Um, so when you start talking to folks, especially in focus groups, I mean, you do you do focus groups with men and they're like, mm, I don't care. But with the women, you, you start talking to them, and um, I'll never forget it. We were, we were sitting there, and a woman, probably in her late 50s, 60s, and she's like, choice. And we are like, that's interesting. She goes, it's obviously not for me. It's for my son. And I'm like, your son? I obviously I didn't say anything. She's like, mm-hmm. if he makes a mistake or if something happens, wow. you know, I want to have him protected. And I was like, that's a totally different, more nuanced way of thinking than I ever did. So... Right to you, you know, that is an argument that I'm going to be making because of that. Group. Absolutely. Uh, no. By the way, uh, shame on those men. I mean, obviously, focus group participation and, and discussion is confidential, but I love some of the women in their lives to see their ho-hum approach. I think they would probably <laughs> get a stern talking to uh, from the women yeah, in their they lives. They deserve it. <laughs> so um, how, what kind of divergence do you expect to see between, let's say, the governors and the Senate race? Not trying to get you in any trouble, but or do you think no, these no, no, races no, no, no. are, are, are All my follow, memo. Yeah, yeah. yeah, my memo from my team said, do not right. make news. Um, yeah. <laughs> but uh, no, the there's really not much. Mm-hmm. There really isn't a huge divergence between the two. I mean, all all credit to, to Catherine and to Scott. They're running a phenomenal race. A little bit different approach to us just because it's a different personality, different character, but they're running a phenomenal race um, and really defining Laxalt and, and really setting her up as that centrist middle voice uh, that I think is very important. So we're not going to see a whole lot of uh, split between the two. Hmm. Okay. So that's important for people who are going to be up very late. Uh, Nevada does a, a, a quick job comparatively to many of its sister states to counting the mail vote. So let's, as a campaign manager, uh, you know, I always thought, now listen, um, it's pretty much uh, uh, a tool available almost everywhere these days. When I was growing up in politics, uh, it wasn't. So you loved working in a state where you had early vote and or mail vote because it was just another way uh, to get, you know, uh, voters you weren't sure to participate uh, in. What mm-hmm. do you watch uh, as this starts to come in? And when are you going to start to see get enough data in to begin to get a sense of, you know, where you're uh, hitting your numbers, where you're overshooting them? And, and, and just for the casual listener who's never worked in a campaign, uh, I think there's all these reports about how many Democrats return ballots, how many independents, how many Republicans. But that, t- tell them what really matters in terms of, of how you, as a campaign manager, evaluate the early vote. Well, uh, not to freak people out, but, you know, I or folks around me have spent hundreds of thousands of dollars modeling every single voter in the state. Yeah. Um, Everyone's so got a score. Versus, people need to understand Everybody's that. got yeah. a score. Every, it, <laughs> yeah. Hopefully it's better than my credit score. Uh, but, uh, you know, everybody, that's what I'm watching. I'm not watching R versus D because yeah. this state is actually pretty evenly divided. Uh, there's about 35% uh, registered Dems. At this point, I think it's like 36% registered independent and then like 29 or, you know, something like that for Republicans. So if I just watched R versus D, I wouldn't get too clear of a picture. But we're going to be getting daily updates uh, as early vote and vote by mail comes back. 
And I'm going to be looking at the scores, the support scores. That's going to tell me everything, how we're doing, what we need to go do. I mean, everybody in the state of Nevada will be getting a ballot, ballot this cycle um, by mail. They'll have plenty of opportunity to turn it in. And there is going to be a ginormous field effort to make sure that our voters do turn those ballots in. So just unpack that a little bit for folks. So you, Sam and his team can't look at your ballot and know how you voted. We can't, they've, no. they've modeled you, so they have a sense. So just, I don't know, Sam, if, if this is the terminology you used, certainly in, in races I used to be involved with, you'd be like, okay, 100 support, meaning that person's definitely going to vote for Steve Sislak and 100 turnout. You'd get mm -hmm. excited when it was a 90 or 95 or 100 support, but 50 or 40 or 30 turnout, right? So you're worried they weren't going to turn out. That's what really matters. 100%. Like, uh -huh. David, you are better at field than I am. And you just explained it much more succinctly than I ever could. But yeah, like looking at the low turnout, high support is exactly all we're doing. Yeah. And then making adjustments based on that. Um, so, mm -hmm. so a campaign manager is paying, pay attention. And so what, and, and just remind people of the timing of this, Sam and Nevada, when, when will ballots go out? Overseas ballots go out next week. Mm -hmm. Then a following mm -hmm. week, it's uh, out of state. And then mm -hmm. um, the week or so after that is everybody gets one. So everybody should have a ballot somewhere around probably the 15th, but no later than the 20th of October. So that gives them about 20 days to, to turn it back in. And you're absolutely right. What we're going to be focusing here is one massive phone program to get folks to turn it in relationship relational organizing you know people within networks to get their friends their families to turn these balance in um we're going to be looking at you know obviously the field effort and the door knocking and that's you know classic uh it's starting to cool down here in vegas so you know that that always helps with the yes. volunteer recruitment efforts there but Weirdly, I've never actually had to pay attention to the weather as much as I've had to here. <laughs> you have um, to. Yeah, right. You have to. But uh, yeah, going after those folks that, you know, maybe vote only in presidentials and getting right. them to turn out in a midterm here is the name of the game. If Obviously, if we had every Biden voter turn out in this election, we'd win by not the two and a half that he did, but closer to like five, six, seven, five, six, we'd be yeah. about 51. So that's that's all we're trying to do is get those low turnout voters to just come back and, and pull the handle one more time. Thank you for that. That's very helpful for everybody. So on, you know, one of, I think, the, the important dynamics of the last uh, three elections, 16, 18, 20, was stronger than expected Republican turnout. That was part of 16, mm -hmm. a big part of 20, why it was so close. You know, even in 18, you know, we obviously had a great uh, election for the most part, but they got really strong turnout, particularly red areas. Yeah. Do you have any sense that we're going to see that again? Or are they going to over surprise on turnout uh, or without Trump on the ballot? Um, do you think that that's going to be more of a challenge for them? Look, I'd be bad at my job if I went to sleep saying, oh, Republicans aren't going to turn out. Yes. So you, you know? assume they're, they're all coming. I, yes. <laughs> I assume every single Republican yeah. is coming out the vote. Now, the, the one thing I will say here, though, um, and I'd be curious to hear Ralston's take on this. For us, our guy is just not trusted. Our Republican opponent is not trusted by his own side. He still has someone uh, claiming that they that he cheated to win the primary. So that that you know election denial kind of drag is absolutely working against him. Um, and because he is a rather progressive sheriff from the uh, from Clark County. They also don't trust him on the rules. Right, so right. there could be a ton of Republican turnout. They should. They might just go federal and then skip on down uh, because, you know, there are some 
I shouldn't say crazy, but there are some wackadoo, I guess that's probably worse than crazy, but wackadoo Republicans on the ballot uh, for Secretary of State, for Attorney General, um, for Treasurer. I mean, the, yeah. I think our Republican Treasurer candidate has some federal indictment charges coming for embezzlement or something. I don't know. You know, there is there's this strain of rabidness that I don't necessarily think they feel about our Republican opponent. So we'll see. Yeah, that's fascinating. Yeah, I mean, obviously, you've got to, to focus on your race. But, uh, you know, it must be interesting as, as you're spending, you know, every ounce of, of energy uh, and thought you have. But occasionally you must be like, I can't believe that a secretary of state candidate could win here and preside over battleground state Nevada in 24. <laughs> I mean, it's insanity. <laughs> well, I, you know, David, as uh, as a native St. Louis and every other waking thought is, is Albert going to hit 700. But like, yes, it, it is. That's my third or fourth thought is how crazy is Michelle Fiore for treasurer? So, yes. yeah. And and then your secretary of state candidate is just an outright election denier. Right. And, and uh, well, not well, that's who you balls want. And strikes. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right, that's that's right. definitely who you want. That, uh, someone that yeah. doesn't believe in the will of the people running your elections. Yeah. You know, I'm still upset about the 2011 playoffs, by the way, where the Cardinals beat the Phillies in, in an amazing series in five and then went on. Uh, to yeah, win the whole did. thing. And yeah. That was probably the Phillies' best team in the history of the franchise. Well, I'm really sorry about that, but I was actually <laughs> at that David Freeze game six game for against the Rangers. And no, oh, Never in the World Series. Sporting moment. Yep. Yeah, no. Extraordinary. Extraordinary. Yeah. Um, so uh, that's a dated reference. Let's talk about modernity. So uh, <laughs> you, you've been in the business a long time. Are you seeing uh, and able to deploy? Are there any innovations in, in tech or organizing or data this cycle? Not asking you to give up any secret sauce, but kind of has that... Uh, much evolution from 20 or 18? Oh, if, if we're not if we're not evolving, then we're dying here. But yeah, mm-hmm. there has been some really cool new tech that's come out in terms of just relational organizing, in terms of mm-hmm. like making those spider webs of connections to folks with uh, what we talked about, those low turnout, high support folks. But the other thing, I think there really is this willingness to uh, talk to the full spectrum of voters. I think Republicans do a great job of um, talking to even somebody with a much probably higher Dem support score, they still are figuring out ways to talk to them. And that's how they made inroads into white working class voters. They've been doing that for years. So, mm-hmm. you know, I we have also been doing something similar here. Right. And then, of course, the way you reach voters has also, you know, obviously TikTok was around in 20, but it's just every cycle, right? The percentage of, you know, it's just... You know, it's harder to reach people, right, uh, on the one hand, because mm-hmm. everything's disaggregated. But, you know, you've got great data, so you know a lot about how certain voters receive information. Um, obviously, you probably need to have specialists for each of these platforms. You just can't, like, run the same Instagram uh, piece of content, you know, on these other platforms. No. So just talk. I mean, in a way, I mean, it, it's a challenge, but I think in a good way, right? It's exciting for managers. Oh, you it's, be on it's top fun. Of all that. Yeah. Look, I, I'm old, man. Like, I'm old. <laughs> I'm not like Preston Elliott, you know, Gretchen Whitmer manager old, but I'm old. Um, but nice day. You know, a yes. lot of a lot of my staff is much younger and much more diverse, especially in a place like this. You have to do it. Yeah. And so I, I don't know for certain, but I think we're one of the few uh, campaigns that's on WeChat, which I didn't even know existed. It's a. Primarily, it's used here by the AAPI community mm-hmm. as both a texting platform and like kind of an Instagram. And so we've shot ads in Mandarin with actually Steve doing his best to, you know, butcher the beautiful language of Mandarin. Um, and, you know, we're up on 
Um, obviously, TikTok. We have a council of youths. I guess I'm not allowed to say kids, but youth high school kids that just film and TikToks with Steve and do little dances. You know, that's we got to show the personality of our guy. Yeah. We got to get him out and get him in front of voters because if once they see him, they love him. That is so smart, WeChat. WeChat, for those that don't know, is the biggest uh, messaging platform in the world, Chinese-based uh, comp- you know, uh, service, but uh, lots of people around the world use it, including in Nevada, apparently, so super smart. Uh, that's what people got to remember. Like, yes, of course you have, like, the candidate and who they are and their core message, but, you know, in a state like Nevada, you're just hunting and gathering for votes. You'll, you'll take them wherever you can get them, right? <laughs> so it's, it's so important to remember that. Yeah, somebody uh, came to me and they're like, we want to do this uh, postcard writing from out of state. And somebody on my staff said, that's the dumb, like, why don't they just come volunteer? Like, you're not, you're probably, I mean, you might want to come to Vegas. You should come to Vegas if you want to come to Vegas. We'd love to have you in Vegas. But, you know, I don't know what's going to make one person turn out and vote. Right. If it's a postcard, great. I'd rather do all of the above than just leave something there on the table. Right. And that's why campaigns need financial resources, but people resources. So you can do every conceivable thing you think. Because, right, with all the data we have, you know, we have a sense of what what makes the most difference. But, you know, it's still some art to it, (laughs) you know, in terms of what. So it does have to be all the above. Well, listen, Sam, uh, thank you for your time. Super helpful and and excited about the race you're running. Um, Hopefully, Pujols will hit 700 this week so you can have your mind fully. Well, he's on such an amazing run. He probably will. It's 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 been inspiring to watch. Uh, it, it really yeah. has been. But, but best of luck here in, 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 the, Thank you. in the closing weeks here. And, and we'll be watching carefully uh, and wish you all the best to, to get Governor Sisolak over the line. Thank you, David, and uh, thank you for all, uh, thank you for bringing attention to what I think is the most important battleground state in the country. 